0: Welcome to the First Prez podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at www.first-prez.org. r not it great to be led by those kids? Beautiful. I'm not going to do those motions for you. <laughs> sorry, sorry, choir. <laughs> Friends, we're talking today about um, the Eighth Commandment, and we're talking about the Lord of our resources, and what a good week to do that, isn't it? I, I just reflect on how uh, this week in, uh, on Wall Street, probably I don't know how many billions of dollars went up and down and up and down, but we know where our solid rock is, We know who's faithful, we know who's sure, we know who provides for us. So let's look together at Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and then I'm going to read to you the parable of the rich young ruler from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. And as we turn to God's holy word, let's open our hearts through prayer. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us so clearly about the things that matter to us so dearly. So, Lord, have mercy on us and help us to see you clearly and to trust you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 15 You shall not steal. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, at verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, we're grateful. Lord of my resources. Well, friends, come to tell you today I stole a box of nerds not this box I paid for this box I have the receipt but when I was a little boy uh, I lived nearby the Albertsons down on 115 and Cheyenne Mountain Boulevard see if I can make that oh look at that we'll see how that goes and um, I lived right there walking distance to the Albertsons that was down on 115 and Cheyenne Mountain Boulevard. And one day after school, I walked up to that store. It's not there anymore. And, um, and I, uh, I wanted to get some candy. The problem is I didn't have that much money in my pocket. And so as I stood there in the candy aisle, I was looking at uh, a pack of Hubba Bubba and a box of Nerds. And I realized that I had enough to buy one or the other but not both. But in my heart of hearts, I wanted both. So you can see my, my conundrum. And what I did was I, I took the box of nerds and I put it in my pocket. And I went and paid for the gum and went walking out of that store. I still wonder if that's why it went out of business. <laughs> <laughs> now, Uh, It's hard to describe this, but um, a box of nerds in your pocket makes some noise when you walk. A stolen box of nerds in your pocket makes a sound like a crashing pane of glass with every step you take. Crash, crash. It may as well have been the telltale heart as beads of sweat were rolling down my if my brow, and, uh, and I got out the door, and I ate those nerds, but let me tell you, never has a boy eaten a more bitter-tasting box of nerds than that one that I walked out with. Well, the Lord said, you shall not steal. Exodus twenty fifteen. And one Barna survey reported that 86% of adults claim they have completely satisfied God's requirement against stealing. No problem. I don't know. Here's the lesson I learned that day so long ago. Everything we gather to ourselves wrongfully steals life from us. How's your relationship with money? Money is so close to our hearts. It can grab us. It can pull us. It can guide and direct our lives in ways that we're not even conscious of. And Jesus knows that very well. That's why he talked so much about money during his ministry to people who around him, who, let's face it, didn't have much of it. And for us who who live in in such a a prosperous and wealthy way when compared to life in the history of of the world, for us it's even more critical here are some messages that we soak up these days about money and prosperity. And as I read these, these messages, these axioms, I just want you to, to ask yourself, have any of these soaked into your heart? Here are some things that we hear. You deserve it. Sense of entitlement. You can never have enough Insecurity. More is always better. Your paycheck determines your worth and value. Take care of yourself first and then share from the leftovers. Happiness comes from wealth. Wealth equals success. Resources are scarce, so get what you can. Money equals security. Pursue it at any cost. If you have money, God loves you. If you don't, you've done something wrong. Any of that ring true? Any of that settled into your heart? You've soaked it up from the world around you? Maybe you wouldn't say it out loud like that. You wouldn't embroider any of those on a pillow. But when it comes to the decisions that you're making, these attitudes come into play. And they grow an impulse within us to gather to ourselves. And maybe that impulse grows so strong, it grows so powerful, that we begin to look past a godly gathering, a righteous gathering. And we look past hard work and the proper use of our gifts to add value. And we are more and more enticed by those temptations to gather to ourselves wrongfully. And everything we gather to ourselves wrongfully takes life from us. The way out is to look to Jesus as Lord of our resources. The Eighth Commandment is a neighbor commandment. This is about how we treat one another, how we love our neighbors. And it's simple. You shall not steal. But as with the other commandments, when we start to dig into that and look at what it really means, all its aspects, we realize it goes a lot further than we imagined. The the Heidelberg Catechism from our Reformed tradition says that the Eighth Commandment forbids not only the theft and robbery which civil authorities punish, but also But God also labels as theft all wicked tricks and schemes by which we seek to get for ourselves our neighbor's goods, whether by force or under the pretext of right, such as false weights and measures, deceptive advertising or merchandising, counterfeit money, exorbitant interest, or any other means forbidden by God. He also forbids all greed and misuse and waste of his gifts. But what does God require of you? in this commandment. That I work for the good of my neighbor wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would have others deal with me. And do my work well, so that I may be able to help the poor in their need. There's a lot more to it. Unlawful gain, unjust treatment of others, overcome by the impulse to gather to ourselves. It's really, it's any time that that impulse pushes us right past the bounds. It pushes us over the policies, the boundaries, the laws, and it causes us to step in some way on a neighbor in order to gather to ourselves goods that are not rightfully ours to get a little more for ourselves. Some of those things sound outdated. People used to use false measures Imagine going to the store to buy a pound of flour, and the, the shopkeeper has a, a measure, a weight, and it says on it, one pound. But puts it on the scale, it isn't actually a pound, it's only three quarters of a pound, or something like that. And so now you're only getting three quarters of a bit of flour. And this was common in the ancient world, and the Bible is full of verses about how God feels about that. Proverbs twenty twenty three, for example. The Lord detests differing weights. And dishonest scales do not please him. might be an understatement, right? How does God feel about that? Well, translate that into your own business. You ever put your finger on the scale? You ever put your thumb on the scale? Ever allowed a business transaction to go through that brought in more than you deserved, more than was Right? How did it feel in your conscience? Everything we gather to ourselves wrongfully steals life from us. And it's not just robbery or or theft outright. It's the Eighth Commandment is broken when we are lazy or wasteful at work, when we slack off, when we... Fudge the numbers or dip into the petty cash or, or we uh, falsify an expense or pad a mileage report. And I know you've all been, any of you who's in the working world or has been in the working, you've all been in situations like this. And what the eighth commandment is telling us is it's not about what you can get away with and it's, also, it's not about what's become normal within your company, within your company practice. It's about how God sees it, how God sees it. Ultimately, it points to where your heart is. Where does this impulse come from? And how does it grow so strong that we become willing to risk our reputation, our, our good name, that we're willing to risk who we are and who people think, what people think of us or diminish and abuse our neighbor just to gather a little bit more? Where does this impulse come from? Well, I mean, it might be that That nasty old dragon greed itself, that satisfactionless worm, voracious as an empty grave. Sure, it might be greed, but it might be something a little more subtle. It might just grow on that discontent brought on by an endless barrage of messages in our consumer advertising. You don't have this yet. If you had this, you'd be happy. If you had a little more, you'd be better. Without this, you can't live, or it might be some internal insecurity within us. But ultimately, listen, ultimately, it is a misplaced trust. That's what Jesus knew when he confronted the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. A man comes up to Jesus and kneels down, almost making the show of how humble and respectful he's being in front of everybody. Oh, great rabbi. Oh, good teacher, he actually says. To which Jesus replies as he watched the passage go by, why do you call me good? Don't you know good is a word that people use for God? Why are you using that word about me? And then Jesus runs through the six commandments the six commandments about how we deal with our neighbors, that's what he gives them. Remember the ten commandments is in two tablets. The first four are about how we relate to God and then the second six are about how we relate to one another. So Jesus runs through all the one another commandments with them. Verse 19, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, you Honor your father and mother. You know all these commands. You learned a Sunday school song about them when you were a boy. You know all these. And what does the boy, what does the man say? He says, oh, yeah. No problem. Easy. I've been covering those since I learned them when I was going through Sunday school. I guess there were no Albertsons back then. Or... No boxes of nerds to tempt otherwise righteous boys. (laughs) (laughs) Then verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. You said I'm good. You, you said I'm God. So let me direct you and your resources. Come and follow me. I, either I'm God or I'm not. You see, one thing you lack. Remember that they had talked about the second table of the Ten Commandments, all the the, the one another table of the Ten Commandments, but not about the first. There hadn't been a word about the first table, about how to relate to God. And the problem might be right in there, it might be in that area. How do you relate to God? It could just be that something has taken a seat in your heart, a place of honor, a place of trust and confidence and worship, a place that only God should be allowed. Jesus looked him in the eye and he said, one thing you lack. I want you to imagine with me the look on the, man's, the young man's face when, when Jesus said those words, one thing you Lack. This is Jesus. He he owns nothing. He has no home, no bank account, you know. And he turns to this and he says one thing. Yeah, can you imagine the look on his? I'm imagining a smirk, and maybe a little bit of a sideways glance, maybe even some snickering in the audience. One thing you lack. You're telling this guy that there's something he's missing? There's nothing this guy lacks. One thing I lack, I don't lack for anything. I'm the rich young ruler. I mean, I've got everything that I could want to lay my hands on. I'm young and successful and influential and full of promise. I'm the one that everybody at the banquet wants to sit next to. Everyone hopes to speak with. I'm the young victor in society. Every young woman hopes to marry. One thing you lack Name it, and I'll buy it tomorrow. One thing. And not the down market brand either. I'm going to buy the top of the line, the Corinthian leather, Egyptian cotton, thousand thread, 14 carat, whatever. One thing I lack. One thing you lack, says Jesus. What is it? Here it is. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure. You'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. You said I'm good. You said I'm God. Will you follow me? What does he lack? At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What does he lack? His wealth is his lack. His having everything is his having nothing. His relationship with money took up all the room. And here's Jesus speaking to him. He said, oh, you'll have treasure in, treasure in heaven? Are you nuts? I've got treasure right here. Come and follow me, follow you. A penniless preacher from Galilee, I don't follow you. I follow people who know how to make a difference in this world. I follow people of influence and success and wealth. That's who I fo- follow, you. One thing you lack, said Jesus, and his face dropped. And every one of the Gospels that talks about this story, it gets that intimate, you can see his face. And all that confidence, all that pride, that he had walking into this moment before the great rabbi, all that show, it immediately drains out of him and all of his confidence is gone and he turns away dejected and sad. His greatest possession was his greatest void and emptiness. Jesus has put his finger right on the nerve. How's your relationship with money And how's your relationship with God? Will you have Jesus as Lord of your resources? The man turned away. He said no to eternal life and yes to hoarding his wealth. Now, I'm among those who hope very dearly that that he was still within earshot as the disciples asked him, What do you mean? If this man can't be saved, who can be saved? I'm among those who hope dearly that this young man was still within earshot of the Lord when Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God as the young man walked away. But let's go back to the beginning of this, back to verse 21. Was Jesus just being mean? Was Jesus saying you can't follow uh, me until you've given away everything you have? Was Jesus just being setting impossible demands for salvation? No, Jesus was diagnosing a condition of this man's heart. Look back at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and what? He loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He wanted goodness for him. He wanted life for him. Jesus loved him. That's why he said what he said. That's why he challenged him the way he challenged him. That's why he made him feel uncomfortable and humiliated and confused. He did that because Jesus loved him. Now, what kind of love is this? Well, this is the kind of love that wants to set you free even when all you want is to keep your chains. This is the kind of love that wants to give you new life, even when all you want is to stay in slavery. That's the kind of love that this is. Everything we take to ourselves unlawfully robs us of life. Everything we steal robs us of life. But you know what, you know what the other side of that is? Everything we give away adds life. This is the hinge of generous living. Everything I take to myself unlawfully, it robs life, but everything I'll give away, it adds life. We're going to talk for the next uh, few weeks about, about giving to First Pres, And it starts with prayer, as I shared earlier. We, we, uh, we want you just to be praying. There's nothing, there's, there's no difference, um, bigger difference made than to know that the people of the church are praying for the ministry of the church and for the staff, the remarkable staff that God has gathered here. We want you praying. And then we're going to talk together about, well, moving into 2019, what's the challenge? Running this operation, this this church first pres in 2019, including all we give away, which is a lot, will require just under $2,000 per member for the year. And this is a generous church. We give, uh, as a body, we give on average about $3,200 per family. But a lot of our giving comes from a very small group of people. And I don't know all the ins and outs of what people give. That's by design. But I can tell you that if you give more than $19,000 a year, you're among the top 40 givers in our congregation. Top 40 give that much. And then 32% Uh, Don't give at all, even a a small amount. So we can work on that. But as we talk about giving and we ask to make a commitment to the Lord's work here, it's not about funding the operations of the church. It's about your heart. How's your relationship with money? How's your relationship with God? Do you trust Jesus to be Lord of your resources? So as a church, as we develop Christian disciples, mature Christian disciples, we teach the tithe, the giving of 10% of one's income back to the Lord. We teach it as Jesus taught it. He assumed that his followers were practicing the tithe. And the tithe is not some legalistic guilt machine. It's not some shame operation. The tithe is a safeguard and a method for freedom from greed. It's a gift and it's a blessing. When you put God first and trust God fully with, with your, your finances, with your resources, when you make that commitment of trust, you get freed a little bit from that binding impulse to gather to yourself more and more and more from that damaging impulse to do whatever it takes to gather more money to yourself. It's freedom, because that impulse will overtake you. It'll suck you down. It just whispers, never enough, never enough, never enough. And before you know it, you're jumping some bound, stepping on a neighbor, even turning from the Lord. We must encourage one another continually to practice the tithe and freedom and enjoy. Just like the Sabbath sets a, a limit on our time and our energy in the week, the tithe frees us to rest in God's provision and escape the never-ending thirst for more. Because when that thirst takes hold and those temptations get strong, the love of money, remember, not money, but the love of money becomes a root Of all kinds of evil. And everything we gather to ourselves wrongfully steals life from us. But everything we give adds life. Friends, Jesus, on the other hand, was not a hoarder. Jesus, the one we follow, he was not one who who had to gather to himself, even unlawfully gather to himself. He had no anxiety. Jesus wasn't just generous with the leftovers either. Jesus gave it all. He gave his whole life away. He gave his whole self away. How do you really satisfy what the law demands in the eighth commandment? Only Jesus Christ does what the law requires. And this stuff that we're talking about. We're not just talking about stealing or, or money or or resources for a church. It's it's about the heart. It's about your character. It's about what you believe and trust is the character of God. What's your view of God? A, a, a generous giver or a stingy God who's always holding back? Do we belong to a kingdom of scarcity or a kingdom of of abundance, Do we need to hoard for ourselves, set up our own little kingdom and defend it, or can we trust the king and the kingdom? Jesus looked at him and loved him. He looked at him and loved him. And so he looks at you, and so he looks at me, and so he offers once again to come and follow him To a place of freedom and peace. Lord, we thank you that there's no part of our lives that you shy away from, no area of our lives, Lord, that you cannot guide and direct. And we thank you that you are Lord of the things that matter so deeply to us. So Lord, if there's any part of our lives that we are hiding from you, that we are resisting your influence, that we are fearful of trusting you. Our prayer this morning, Lord, is that by your Holy Spirit, every one of us here would be able to trust you just a little bit more and know that you are Lord and Savior by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez Podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.